is Bad Boys and Beyond with your hosts, Mike Payton and Keith Black Trudeau. The game's over and the Pistons have won the world championship. We've got the winning team. Who can't lose. And you're going to play better than you ever dreamed of. Because, God damn it, that's what I demand of you. On the court, at least. I didn't break any laws. You did. It's your career that's on the line, not mine. Did you take money? Did you shake points? McNulty, Shaquille O'Neal, in Blue Chips. Premier Saturday, March 11th on HBO. Welcome to Bad Boys and Beyond at the Movies. I am your host, Mike Payton. With me, as always, is Keith Black Trudeau. Keith, how are you doing in TV? Are you passing that class or, or what? Uh, the balcony is open. Uh, <laughs> we, we uh, yeah, I, I, I think I could pass TV. I don't, it, it's not just a, it's not just a, uh, a course you, you just breeze through. You don't just sit out, sit around and, and watch the two. That's right. That's right. <laughs> uh, so yes, we are covering our first movie today and we chose blue chips because it's a movie that's kind of come up several times, uh, during our run. We've, it's, and 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 the reason we always talk about it is just how how insane that it is, how it has aged in this in just a crazy way, um, you know. And we're and we're going to get into that obviously, but it's a it's a favorite around here. So um, I guess let me just jump right into it by just let's talk about what this movie is about. So it is about uh, Coach Pete Bell played by Nick Nolte, who is the head coach of the Western University Dolphins. Uh, Keith, what school is this not, by the way? Uh, I, I don't even call them Western University after like the first two scenes. I'm, I'm just thinking, okay, this is not UCLA. It's not this, UCLA. This is not, not University of Los Angeles, California. They, right. have, they have the same uh, winning tradition. They have the same school colors. Uh, they definitely do not have the same mascot i actually like the dolphin more than the bruin but um yes they they play basketball in los angeles but they're not ucla so don't call them ucla that's right and uh so yes pete bell is a is a coach who's kind of down on his luck if you will uh they the team goes 14 and 15 which is that's all right. I suppose it's not horrible. It's not like anybody should get fired after he's won two national championships and eight conference titles, but he needs to go out and he needs to recruit some new players. But those damn schools from the East, they keep stealing all the good players so that they could be on TV. So what he decides to do is he recruits the three or two of the biggest uh, uh, recruits in the country. Plus one guy who somehow nobody's ever heard of, which we will get to. And, he uh, recruits them onto the team and then winds up getting with some boosters to to pay the pay, the players to play for Western University and just goes through a huge moral dilemma before he completely fumbles the bag after the first game of the year. And yeah, that's uh, that's the story of Blue Chips. It is uh, it's a very interesting movie. It's a funny movie. But yes, the the topic of this is is not aged 
quite well. No, no, the, the topic has aged like fine milk, as they say. Uh, I Look, I think I was 12 when this movie came out. I might have been 11, I forget uh, when the exact date was. But yeah, the, the draw of this movie was entirely the uh, <laughs> the casting of Shaquille O'Neal as uh, one, of, one of the supporting characters. And uh, by, by the time the film came out, Penny Hardaway was making it a huge splash in the NBA, which I'm, I'm sure the filmmakers were overjoyed or the, uh, the producers were overjoyed about because that added to the, uh, that added to the draw. But um, yeah, the, the message in this movie was very dated. Like you, you could date this from uh, early eighties to really mid to late nineties, the message that it sends about, you know, how, how, college athletes uh, getting paid, uh, receiving monetary payment uh, for the work, and it is work that they put in uh, for the university, it is evil and it will only lead to bad things. Meanwhile, <laughs> the universities make, make millions, uh, really billions collectively, and the, the coaches themselves that recruit these, these players but don't actually play the game are, are making millions uh, off the backs of these kids themselves. So, yeah, I look, if you grew up uh, after the 90s and you're, you know, a 20-year-old in 2022, you 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 might watch this movie and think it's very alien. Uh, and in that case, I highly recommend watching it because it will inform you of of how perceptions were at the time of college sports. Yes, they were they were very very dumb back then. And and I I partook in it too. I, I'm not going to lie. I mean, there was a point in time where it was like, why are we going to pay these guys for giving them free college and all this stuff? But, you know, really, it's that it, it always makes me think about that Fab Five uh, 30 for 30, where Chris Weber's walking down the street and he doesn't have enough money to buy a slice of pizza. And he sees his jersey hanging in the store window. And it's like the school is making all this money off of them. EA Sports ha- is using their likeness and making all this money off of them. Like. It, it, it millions and millions and millions of dollars are being made off of the likeness and and just everything that these kids do it, it why not give them some money like it just it i'm totally with it Let's give these kids some money yeah yeah the um i i think the overall fear of the time was if, if you pay one kid and you have to pay every kid and universities can't possibly uh, pay all these college athletes. And even if they do, only five universities have enough money to do that. And, you know, all this you know garbage, but, you know, with, with the TV rights exploding uh, like they did, I, that, that's not really an argument you can, you can make anymore. Really in hindsight, you couldn't have made that at the time. I don't think people really realize just how much money uh, flows through college athletics and, and how little the players were getting out of it. Like that, that entire Chris Weber thing that Mitch album covered extensively. Like, yes, I, I, I get it. It's not great that you uh, circumvented the rules. It's not great that you might have taken something uh, under the table and lied about it, which was really the, the thing that he did wrong, not taking the money or taking the benefits. It was lying to a grand jury about it. Uh, but uh, yeah, it, it was, it, it pointed out the hypocrisy, even at the time. Right. And, you know, the interesting thing about, about this movie is that 
there's a character in this movie, Happy uh, Kaikendall, Happy Kaikendall, who's like the head booster of the uh, of the Boosters Association or whatever you would call it. And you and I both agree that yeah, he's he's a, he's a he's a dick. Um, and, they, and the movie wants you to know that. But there is one scene where like he completely uh, he let's just play it. You'll see that he completely has it right. You've never walked away from anything in your life. I know you. You don't know shit. I know everything. I know what Butch McCray's mother wants. I know you've got a kid named Neon Bedeau being tutored by your ex-wife. I know what Ricky Rowe is going to want. I know the amount of Tracker. money that it's going to take to buy out your contract is the same that it's going to take to get Butch and Ricky to sign letters of intent. We don't buy athletes. Now, let me tell you something in case you don't know. Our football team, ranked in the top ten for the last eight years, has got a linebacker, a tailback, an offensive tackle, two safeties, and a quarterback, all recruited by friends of the program. I don't like football. They're all graduating this year. We're clean. My money is untraceable. It's been washed, scrubbed, laundered within an inch of its life. You got a future in politics, asshole. Why don't you run for office? These athletes generate millions of dollars for the university. What do they get? Nothing. What do you get? You get a multi-year contract. You get a six-figure shoe deal so your team can be a walking billboard. And that is all legal. And then you get another six figures for that lousy TV show. Get out of my face. The thing you say was let go. We owe them this, boss. We owe it to them. All it's, he can say is "get out of my face." Get out of my face. There is no scripted response to that that makes sense and keeps him looking like the good guy. <laughs> but he's absolutely right. Uh, not on. Look, these players are going to graduate from college. Yeah, and... they, that, yeah that, that was like the thing that struck me more than anything that he said. Like all these players are still graduating; they're still getting their degrees. Like they haven't been cheated by this whole thing. Right, right. They, and it hasn't affected these players' uh, moral compass or anything. They're they're sticking to to their uh, you know their whatever whatever you want to call it. They're sticking to the plan. They're graduating from college, <clears throat> and. Yeah, you know, he mentioned the shoe deal, which is something I didn't even think about. Like all these, like Michigan, perfect example. They've got a deal with Jordan brand and 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 Nike and all that stuff. And just wearing that in the game, it gets them millions and millions of dollars. And and you know, the players don't see any of that money or haven't, you know, didn't used to see any of that money. And all the money that uh, Pete Bell gets to host his TV show, which you know, I don't. By the just a quick sidebar, I see this in movies all the time where the the head coach of a college team or a pro team hosts its own TV show. I've never seen this actual show, but from from any real head coach, is this is this something you've seen before? Yeah, I mean, I mean it's actually interesting. Uh, Bob Knight, who was uh, the inspiration for Nick Nolte's character in the show, had his own show. Like that was part of like he loved making money as much as any other college coach. And I think a lot of college coaches, uh, football and basketball, have their own weekly uh, shows. I know Bo Schembechler had his at Michigan. I think Lloyd Carr might have followed him in that role after after Bo left. Uh, yeah, it is that especially for college coaches, it is actually pretty popular to make a little money on the side and just have your own, you know, puff piece uh, weekly uh, interview. Huh. Well, maybe I'll have to I'll have to look that up. Maybe one of these days we'll get a Tom Izzo show. 
Let's see what that's like. That I've never seen the Tom Izzo oh, show. If there I, is I, one, <laughs> if there is one, I I've never seen it. Maybe it's on the Big Ten Network or something. Or I don't know. Maybe it's on the maybe the college has a has its own uh, TV station or something. That I don't know. Uh, but yeah, so that it's a it's a really interesting situation. Um, you you rarely see a movie flip on a dime where the bad guy sort of becomes the good guy and the good guy becomes the bad guy. Um, uh, even though. You know, as we both mentioned, this happy character—he is a yeah. he's a bad guy. Yeah, he—he's a scum. Like, I—I I don't want to stretch this out too far, but I—I I compared it mentally, kind of, uh, to uh, watching Black Panther and Killmonger, where he—he uh, he has he makes a lot of great points, and his his heart, quote unquote, is maybe in the right place, but. They have to turn him into a serial killer just to make sure that there's no possible uh, justification for taking his side. And this is kind of like Happy. Well, we will learn. We will learn later. Uh, it is completely kind of a scumbag. Uh, he's dislikable from the beginning, but he gives great ideas, great viewpoints on why the the system is completely hypocritical, and maybe paying players under the table isn't such a bad idea. Uh, but yeah, towards the end, he becomes kind of irredeemable, which it's whatever. He's the antagonist. I know the movie has to do that, but it would have been interesting just to leave it as sort of a gray area. You know, what's interesting is uh, I just thought maybe there would be some sort of uh, and we're getting off to a little sidebar here. Okay? But I thought maybe there'd be some connectivity here. Uh, but it's it's actually the same year. There's uh, that Arizona State. Uh, point shaving thing was going right. down this same yeah. year. I thought maybe there would be that you know that maybe this was kind of uh, inspired by that because there is a point shaving uh, mm. conspiracy, if you will, in this movie where Tony, who is flunking TV, uh, it, it, part the part takes in a point shaving. Uh, right, what should we call it? Now th- this um, this this character that Nick Nolde plays, Coach Pete. Uh, he, as I said before, he he shadowed uh, Bob Knight for pretty much an entire season just to get an idea of the type of character he should play. And uh, yes, it, it definitely it definitely shows that from the very first scene in the movie, he is just an irredeemable jackass. How bad can you get? Just how goddamn bad can it get? This is by far the worst team that has ever sat in this locker room. You son of a bitches! You don't deserve a locker room! You don't deserve a locker room the way you're playing here! That's you definitely kind of without uniforms, you should be playing in the jock straps! God damn it! Every time we get ready to play, I just want to throw up. I'm goddamn sick of watching you guys play! There's not one of you, not one of you, that's learned how to win. We got hammered the last four games, and it stopped right now. If you keep playing the way you're playing, we're going to get an ass beat again tonight. So depressed, I don't even want to talk about it. I'm through fighting, you sons of bitches! You're the dumbest team I ever coached. So yeah, it uh, he's he's. If that doesn't motivate you, I don't know what does. I, I 
my, my notes, and, and the thing is, he doesn't just do this. He rants and then leaves the locker room in a, in a huff and then comes back and starts chewing them out some more, leaves a second time, and then starts, he comes back a third time. And it's it's played for laughs, but if you try to look at it from the perspective of the players, like, this is bordering on abuse, even for a college. Yeah. I mean, look, I get it. College... um. Being a being a Division One college athlete isn't for the for the faint of heart, but uh, this is completely overboard. And not only that, you're not motivating your players at all. I my my notes were, man, they must be getting killed at halftime, and and then they come out of the locker room, and it's the start of the game. Like this guy, <laughs> this coach is reaming his players out, telling them that they're worthless before they before they even start the game. Like you, you, how, of course they're losing. Like this is not how you're supposed to act as a college coach or a coach on any level. Right. As you mentioned, this is not, this is not a halftime speech. Yeah. That's what I thought. You would think that it would be when you're first watching the movie, you're like, oh, okay. They must be down by 20 points or whatever. But no, this is before the game. (laughs) How are you pumping your players up by just shitting on them in the worst possible? Calling them idiots and said, "This is the dumbest team I've ever coached." And yeah, and and this is yeah, this is very like even if you didn't know that this character was based on Bob Knight, you would watch this scene and yeah, yeah, that's that's Bob Knight. But the thing is, I've never heard Bob Knight rant before a game. It's always after his team lost. Like right. this is even a step worse than, than what Bob Knight did. This this toxic attitude, and I know a lot of his players love him because he was a highly intelligent guy, and he did push them to be uh, better players, and he did support them after. I'm, I'm not saying Bob Knight is an evil person, but his style of coaching is objectively shitty. Uh, I'm just going to say that. And the the, the the fact that this movie wanted to promote that for like for laughs it is very toxic itself. It would not be tolerated today. You know, it kind of feels like um, um, the movie studio wants to make a movie about college basketball, but doesn't know anything about college basketball other than, well, Bobby Knight's really famous. So maybe we should, yeah. you know, because this isn't this isn't what it's like. You know, that's just what Bobby Knight was like. I'm sure yeah. maybe there were some other coaches who were who were bad, but like not everybody was throwing chairs at their players in practice. Like this was just a Bobby Knight thing. They could have, they could have, I mean, they had Rick Pitino in this movie. They could have uh, easily yeah. just, just yeah. shadowed him. Jerry yeah, Tartanian kind of, as well. It, it's kind of weird. The, um, yeah. <clears throat> About Rick Pitino. He's actually the coach of the team that they play in this, in this first game after this opening scene, Texas West. Yeah, Texas Western, which is a real, real team. university. Yeah. It's just called UTEP now, University of Texas El Paso. They haven't called it Texas Western since they won the NCAA championship in the mid-60s. But that's like a real team. So I, I like some of these universities are generic and some of them are actually real. And I, I can't figure out why they couldn't do one or the other. Right. That, that was something that I noticed, too. Like the NCAA is not involved, but there's NCAA stuff everywhere. Yeah, there's like Indiana, there's Texas Western, there's I mean, like, like ESPN isn't broadcasting the game, but you see like an ESPN microphone at the post game podium, right? So, yeah, so the game starts and predictably, you know, they're they're getting killed, and what I 
I find kind of funny is that they announce these these names before the uh, start of the game. The announcer does, or the, the the TV announcer does, and you have, you know, Rick Pitino who's coaching these guys. Uh, Rex Walters out of Kansas, who was well playing at Kansas at the time. Uh, Chris Mills, who was playing at Arizona. George Lynch, uh, who was at North Carolina at the time. Uh, and Sam Crawford was at New Mexico State. Uh, Crawford was the only one of those guys that didn't make the league uh, because he was really, he was a 5'8 point guard, but it's not like he couldn't play. What I find, find kind of funny is that those guys got the top billing, but you know who else was on the team? No. Uh, Rick Fox. Who was oh, really? Already, I didn't even see him. Who was already in the NBA at the time playing for the Boston Celtics. Does not even get mentioned. You see him playing. Like on the court, like he's actually playing, but he never, his name is never dropped at all. But I, and Rick Fox, I, maybe because if they mentioned Rick Fox, it would just kind of take you out of it because Rick Fox at that point had been in the NBA for like several years. Like he's clearly too old to be a college basketball player. He's like 28, probably at the time, 27. Now, I wonder if, you know, these teams had any problems with this. Like you, like, you know, you mentioned George Lynch is playing for Texas Western instead of North Carolina later in the movie, Bobby Hurley is playing for Indiana instead of Duke. Like does Duke have a problem with Bobby Hurley wearing the Indiana Jersey and playing for Bobby Knight and all that stuff. Like it seems really weird. Here's what I think saves them. I think all of these players had just finished playing their senior years. And like, I, I think these players had, were just coming off of, playing college basketball. I don't think any of them are actually returned to playing college basketball after this. I think that's what saves them. All right. That makes sense. Then. I, I don't, I can't think of any player that was, that played in college basketball the year after this. So I'm, I'm guessing this was probably shot sometime in the late spring, early summer of 1993. Okay. That makes sense. That, 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 uh, that makes sense. I wonder if this all, movie... these, all these guys were in the draft at that point. I wonder, you know, why why we never saw George Lynch in another movie or or Bobby Hurley. Uh, as you as you mentioned off as you mentioned off the air, this movie kind of started like a, a whole string of of movies with basketball players in them. Yeah, I, I think it's because as as we'll get to in a minute, the, the the players that they cast in this movie actually did a very credible job, like Shaquille O'Neal as. We all come to know is very natural in front of the camera, like he's the class clown type. So it was, I, I think natural uh, acting kind of comes naturally to him. Penny Hardaway, the exact opposite, very reserved guy. But I thought he pulled his lines off. Like I'm not an expert on acting, but I, I believed the performance that he put on. Like it wasn't like this wooden um, performance that you get from. I don't want to throw anybody under the bus, but like. In subsequent movies, we've seen NBA players or or athletes in in other movies trying to play roles, and it just doesn't work because they're not they're not trained actors. They're not good at it. I, I think the actor the acting in this movie is almost too much too good for its own good because it spawned a whole lot of crap movies that came after it with with poor acting and maybe too high expectations. Absolutely, yeah. But um, so. Western get and here's I, I I can't see how they miss this but all right so the first game that Western's getting killed which of course they're going up against several NBA players um, uh, 
but they're getting blown out. And I looked at the I looked at the scoreboard uh, right before uh, Coach Pete Bell gets tossed. There's four. There's just just under four minutes left in the first half. The score is sixty three to forty three. I'm like, what the Loyola Marymount is going on? It says right there first, like the number one next to the the, the period. We are still in the first half. Uh, it is it is already six, 63 to 43 after just 16 minutes. Like nobody's playing defense in this game. And uh, I is another nod to Bobby Knight. Um, uh, Coach Pete Bell turns into an insufferable child after not getting a call and he takes a ball and he punts it into the stands and gets tossed like before half time. Uh, and he, he gets visited by, um, by this athletic director who we'll get into, uh, very shortly, uh, played by Bob Cousy, the legendary hall of fame point guard, Bob Cousy. And, and he has this conversation where he says, if I have to keep getting on these kids to play, uh, to play hard, I won't make it. Um, your, your kids were down 20 in the first half. I don't think what <laughs> clearly, clearly they're not playing good uh, with, with you getting on them. Maybe you should have tried a different approach. Yes. Maybe try being a coach instead of <laughs> berating these kids before the game. Before yeah. the game. It's ridiculous. All right. So. And this is this brings us to really the the only likable part I think in the entire movie uh, for Coach Bell is that the next morning they're in practice, and, and you can see him actually teaching, actually talking to his players like a normal human being, uh, joking around with them, uh, teaching them certain things. He he's he's asking them questions about their their personal lives, their their schooling, trying to make sure everything's doing okay uh, on a personal level with them. It's really the only time in this movie where I see him being like a relatable, uh, good human being and being a coach and doing his job. Like this is you. If he was this guy the entire movie, I would have actually wanted to root for him. But it, it is just downhill from there. Yeah, he's. Uh, it's. I don't. It's. It's almost like they don't know what they want him to be. Yeah. Like, do they want him to be this this jerk of a coach, or do they want him to be uh, like somebody that his players respect and like? Um, this, yeah, it, it kind of goes against everything that we've seen up to this point. Yeah, and and so he he, I, I don't know why, but he he and the athletic director of uh, Vic, uh, played by Bob Cousy, they they go into the the main gym by themselves to just uh put up shots and, and have a chat and, and the way this this scene is supposed to work is they're they're supposed to be shooting like all right go ahead we're, we're gonna those banners were worth what eight points anyway that, everything changes huh everything changes coach yeah there's very little in life that man's got to control over things just happen so when you got a chance to make a statement, goddammit, you got to do it. We haven't been making a statement. When we were winning conference titles and going to the Final Four, we were making a statement. The kids are working as hard as they can, you know. They just don't have the talent. Yeah, well, I can't beat anybody with banners. I need players. I need horses. You got horses. What you need are thoroughbreds. Yeah. 
Well, everybody in the country's buying these kids out of high school, giving them cars, money under the table. God knows what. Don't you ever miss? <laughs> That's the idea of the game. Put the ball in the hole. There's two reasons I'm incapable of cheating. You want to hear them? Tell me. One, if I break the rules and I get caught, I'll get kicked out of coaching. And what's the second reason? I might not get caught. Miss the goddamn ball once, will you? Jesus Christ. You can't even miss left handed. All right, before we carry on, what what is Bob Cousy's shooting stroke? And I, I encourage everyone to go watch this scene if you if you're not totally familiar with the movie. Like Bob Cousy's one of the greatest players of all time, but he does this weird one-handed shot. Like he doesn't even use his other hand. Like it, it, and it just drives me crazy. I can't stop looking at it. Well, that's you know the, the push shot. That's how players were trained to to shoot back in the 1940s and 50s. Uh, oh, I hate just, it. It, it. It put maximum backspin on the ball. You, you didn't have athletes, you know, trying to swat it out of the air. And most importantly, uh, they, they didn't have breakaway rims back in those days. They The rims had absolutely no give on them. So you had to put as much backspin on them as possible. So you could get a friendly roll because, God forbid, any part of the ball touched the rim, it was going to clang straight out. Uh, but yeah, it's it is kind of a a lesson, a history lesson, uh, because Bob Cousy at this point in his life uh, is sixty five years old when they shot this movie, and how this scene is supposed to go is it, they're, they're just, as I said they're walking into the gym alone, and what happens when you have just two friends walking into the gym? There's only one ball, and you just want to shoot around. One person shoots until they miss, and then the other person rebounds, and if, after the miss, the other person gets to shoot. Well. Bob Cousy's standing over the free throw line. He's just, you know, taking shots and he's not missing. Like at some point, Nick Nolfi's supposed to, you know, take shots of his own and he never gets a chance. So, and I counted Bob Cousy goes nine for nine, uh, just having this conversation. Like he's not even really concentrating on the basket. And uh, Nick Nolte, unscripted, says, did you ever miss? So... <laughs> Just to make, just to prove his point, Cousy takes the tenth shot and makes it left-handed. It is the greatest scene in the movie. You will never convince me otherwise. No, it's good stuff. It is, it is good stuff. That brings me to another one of my questions I have on the list here: Is Bob Cousy a good actor? Because he, he, he's in this movie like the the whole time, and I would say that yeah, for a guy who's only acted in exactly one movie, Bob Cousy's not bad. Like. If you didn't know who he was, you would think, oh, this old man's not bad. I, I agree, but he's almost like, I don't want to say he's an extra, but he has such a minor role and he's given very little to do, which, of course, you would. He's a 65-year-old that's never acted in his life. And I, I think he does a credible job for what they asked him to do. I just don't know if I would consider that. It's not like he's Shaq who's delivering a bunch of lines or Matt Nover or Penny Hardaway. You know, he, he, he he's had a few conversations and that that's really it. But the fact that he's able to, you know, smoothly have this conversation on camera while he's while he's swishing free throws is really impressive to me. At, yeah. at sixty five, mind you. And Bob Cousy, uh, by the way, as we 
as we are recording this in um, December of 2022, is still with us at age 94. And he looks very old in this film. He looks a lot older than 65. Um, but yeah, that, that I, I absolutely love this scene. This is my favorite scene in the movie. Yeah, it's good stuff. I, I, I enjoy it as well. All right, so <laughs> we... We we move on to the the second game, and it is the last game of the season. It is Nick Nolte, well, Coach Bell's uh, last chance to avoid uh, his first ever losing season, and they were up against Coast. And no, I didn't abbreviate that at all. It just says Coast on their jerseys and Coast on the scoreboard, and that's all you get. Is it Coast University, uh, University of Coast, Coast College? Who knows? Uh, but it is just Coast and. They are again uh, destroyed uh, by a team with Alan Houston and most notably uh, current Purdue coach Matt Painter, who was also a, who happened to be a Purdue guard uh, back in the day. Uh, for uh, so, oh, oh, I think Rodney Rogers. Who, even though I didn't notice him, I saw him in the credits. Rodney Rogers is also on this team okay. of uh, Denver Nuggets and Boston Celtics fame. Who do we think Coast? Who do we think Coast is supposed to be? I don't even know where Coast is supposed to be. I think it would be hilarious if Coast was in Nebraska. <laughs> yeah. Oh, we're, we're Coast College from Nebraska. <laughs> like, are, are we talking the Pacific Coast, Atlantic Coast? Um, are they in Michigan? Are we talking like the the Superior Coast? I I don't know. They're Coast. Uh, but apparently they're they're better than, um, than Western U. Uh, they win rather easily and... Uh, <laughs> once again, look, he, to his credit, at least he doesn't let loose on his players after the game because the season's over. So what good is it? Um, but behind closed doors with his other coaches, uh, he, he basically just says, um, you know, we're, we're losers. All we have is tone. And all, all I can think of is you recruited these, you, you have been here. The, the film has established that you've been here for decades or at least one decade. So, like, these are kids that you personally recruited. Uh, what are we doing here? <laughs> like, you're 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 completely absolving yourself uh, of the responsibility for these for these uh, these these losses that you've accumulated. But this is your team that you put together. That you, I don't I don't want to hear. <laughs> like the, this entire movie, Coach Bell, just makes me more annoyed. Uh, yes. And this is this is really strike two for him after berating his players. Uh, but then, then we're in a recruiting meeting uh, with Robert Wall, of, of who would become known as the guy from Arliss. Uh, I absolutely love Robert Wall. Yeah, or Knox from Batman. Right, right. But I, I was thinking in the sports context, but no, you're right, he was in Batman. Yeah. And basically, Robert Wall uh, points him to two recruits. He just says, get the, just get the two best recruits uh, on this list and you're set to go for the final four next year. I'm like, okay, great. Um, just get the two, you know, most sought after recruits in the country, which by the way, uh, college recruiting does not start after college, the college season ends. You're not recruiting. Like, this is not how it actually works. Right. Um, once your season's over, you don't then start looking at the, the high school kids that you want on your basketball team in six months. That's not when it starts. All right. This takes years of of recruitment and and conversations and visits and it's like 
No, in this movie, uh, no, alternate universe. Um, you know, the season just ended, and you know, the next day we're gonna talk about oh, which which players do we want on to recruit for our team next year? <laughs> like that's ridiculous. You know, it's it's interesting that we we talk about how it's like nobody knows who Neon Bodo is, and we'll get to that point. But it almost seems like he doesn't know who Butch McRae is either. And then it's yeah. like. It's like, how do you not know who any of these players are? Do you not have a scouting uh, a director, or do you have nothing? Do you? How do you not know? Who, he doesn't really know who Ricky Rowe is either. Like he doesn't yeah, that, know that, who these guys are. That, that, that's yeah, that's what I'm getting at. The, the ridiculous nature of, of this of this movie that the head coach of the basketball team does not know any of the top high school players in America. Until after the season, he doesn't want to know. He doesn't care until after the season ends, and he suddenly needs more players. Like that's not how it works. These players, have, most of them, have already committed, and if they haven't committed, they have a very short list of teams that have built a relationship with them for years uh, before they. They don't just like they, a play. A coach doesn't just show up on your doorstep, and the next week you commit. That's not how it works. Like it's the coach doesn't even show up on your doorstep. It's a recruiter or it's an assistant. Like there's a whole chain of, of things that go on in the recruitment process. And I'm not an expert on recruitment, uh, college recruitment by any means, but I know this isn't how it works. This is ridiculous. Now I got to say, I got to, I got to sort of steal this next part from, from you here. Um, Because this is my favorite part of the movie. The, the whole, the whole string of recruiting here and how he, how he goes. Yep. He starts off going to Butch McRae's high school, um, and you see Jerry Tarkani in there, and uh, I think uh, Bayheim is there. Um, you know, a bunch of guys, uh, and and he, you know, he winds up going to Butch McRae's house, and and it starts this whole runner where he keeps changing his religion depending on who he's recruiting. <laughs> uh, okay. It's funny. It's funny though okay. because I think I think that this is what coaches really do. I think they really do this. This, I, crosses, this this really crosses a line for me. And I'm not a, a religious person, but I respect people's religious beliefs as right. long as they find them to themselves and not pushing them on others. Absolutely. Uh, but, and, and look, I, I agree that the used car salesman bid is probably a part of every uh, D, Division One coach's bag. Like, I, I get it. It's You have to sell yourself. You have to sell the university, even if you exaggerate a little. But, but to lie to the faces of kids and parents about something deeply as deeply personal as your religious convictions is just so incredibly offensive to me. I I cannot think of many lower things to talk about and lie about than, you know, what your religious beliefs are. Like, even if, even if that works on the day you have that discussion, eventually the parents are going to find out or the kids are going to find out that you're not that, you know, religious and that you lied to them just to get into their door. And at that point you're done for life. I would assume if they're religious at all, which we find out that, you know, Butch's mother isn't necessarily religious. She just liked the structure of the Catholic school that she put him in, but that's not the case with our, our, our next family, but yeah, the Rose. Yeah. They yeah. definitely are, are, uh, uh, Southern Baptists and, uh, well, first Baptist. Oh, excuse me, First Baptist. Yeah, they don't, they don't look they too don't kindly. Think too much of Southern Baptists. <laughs> That's right. Uh, but yeah, so 
So he goes to Butch McRae's house and he sets up this uh he sets up a play with with his two sisters, his grandma, his mom. I couldn't figure out what the play was because it looked like they were just passing the pillow back and forth. And then Butch just throws the pillow at a lamp. And I just I just I the only thing I could think of was my mother. And it wouldn't matter if it was a college recruiting thing. My mom would like dive for that lamp. She she would dive on the ground just in case that lamp was going to fall. And then she would berate me over it because it's a lamp. Yeah, I imagine now this is probably the most realistic thing that they've shown that they show in the entire recruiting process. I could totally see any college coach going into a into a, a family room and trying to get the entire family involved into running a, a stupid play where they throw a pillow into a into a like that looked like that was it, that was good recruiting to me, like good uh, interpersonal uh, relationship building. But uh, all I, all I could think about um, after the movie was like, well. You know, that's the motion offense right there. That's the, the offense that you say a half hour later in this film that you don't like. I mean, you ran it with your sisters and your mother in a pillow in the living room. Yeah. But, um, yeah, we, we find out that uh, part of the uh, deal uh, to convince his mother, which, of course, that's part of the recruiting. You have to sell yourself to the parents as well as the, the player you're recruiting but part of the deal is, uh, uh, for Butch's mother anyway, is that she wants a new job and a new house. That she she lives in this, uh, she lives in the projects of Chicago in this high rise, and it's made very clear. You know, she has to unlock the, she has like two locks on the door. Then they make it clearly uh, clear that it's that kind of neighborhood, and as a condition to to push her son towards uh, Western. Uh, you know, she asks for these things. And this is another scene where uh, Coach Pete Bell gets absolutely owned by, by someone that's supposedly an antagonist. Uh, where she, where his response is, well, if I do these things for you and your son, you know, goes through life um, learning that he can uh, circumvent the rules, you know, what is he going to become? And, you know, she answers a millionaire. Exactly. Like the best line that she has, I think this is the most quotable line from the entire movie. I it's it's the most quoted that I can think of anyway. Is uh, when she tells uh, Pete Bell, "A foul is not a foul unless the referee blows his whistle." That's right. That's right. <clears throat> if you if you can't if you, if your mom can't see your hand in the food to the dog under the table, you're not doing it. Yeah, like I, I'm sure this this family that's that's clearly struggling financially and is, is the mother's in fear for her, her kid's safety. I, I don't think she really cares about NCAA rules. <laughs> She's trying to take care of her family first, which is honestly what she should be doing. Right. And, you know, he's Pete, who is this multimillionaire college coach is trying to play this, you know, sanctimonious. Well, that's cheating. Uh, you know, why? well, I don't think she cares at this point. That's not her priority. It's not her rules. Anybody who kind of goes against this whole idea of, of paying college players. I mean, just look at this scene, like, and just look at the situation. Like this multimillionaire coach is willing to come along and take this boy and use his talent and then shuffle him on to whatever it is that he does. Maybe he gets injured. He never plays pro ball. Uh, and, and he doesn't, he doesn't care about this kid's family. 
or what they're going through right. uh, and, and, and thinks that helping them would be wrong. And uh, it, it just, I, I don't, I, I don't know. I just, I, I, that's, it just, it just looks really bad. It looks really bad that, that the moral, the, the thing that's moral and good in this movie is, is not helping somebody who's down on their luck. All right. And uh, number two, the other player that uh, coach Bell is told that he needs to recruit because of course we're going to do this over a weekend. It's that easy. Uh, uh, Ricky Rowe. That's his name, right? Ricky Rowe? Yep, Ricky Rowe. Okay. Uh, who is this uh, farm boy from French Lick, which that's where the film is shot, so why not have a Larry Bird cameo thrown in there? Yeah. Uh, and his parents are, on the other hand, deeply religious, and all of a sudden, um, uh, Coach Bell is a First Baptist. <laughs> He's just going through, going on down the, the religious line. Uh Ricky, at this point, he just only cares about uh, meeting girls, or at least that's all he tells the coach about. Uh, but the dad, who runs a farm, uh, says he wants a new tractor, that is, his old one's broken down, and if if he's going to push his son towards Western, he's going to get a new tractor. And, you know, that's, apparently, that's the, th this is the first sign, is, you know, the parents are greedy. Uh <laughs> It's the message that this movie is, is telling us. Yeah. Like the parents are trying to take advantage of their kids' talents. And it's like, no, the, the, the mother wants to take care of her, her entire family and take them out of poverty. And the, the, the father would like to keep on running his farm uh, without a piece of broken down equipment. Like, I, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm just not getting the message that this movie is sending to me anymore. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I <laughs> I could see how my parents would have understood it, but, uh, but yeah, it's just a whole nother world now. And um, I wonder, I, I think the whole inviting the uh, coach over for dinner thing is probably a, a real life uh, recruiting thing as well. I would not be, would not be shocked if they were sitting down over biscuits and whatever else they were eating there. Yeah. Yeah. That, that totally makes sense to me. I'm sure that's not, I'm sure that hasn't gone out of style yet. Can we get to the the recruiting one that everybody really wants to talk about, though, Mister Neon Bodo? Yes the 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 second star of the the entire film is finally introduced, probably about halfway through. Uh, <clears throat> after Pete comes, uh, actually, I don't even know where, where Pete is at this point, but he runs into a buddy of his that's trying to throw a a, a recruit his way, and. He keeps mentioning, oh, this kid's raw. He's he's never been really coached. He just grew to seven feet tall as an army brat, which Shaq actually was. And, you know, he's his coordination just kicked in once he got taller, which isn't really a thing that happens. But so, yeah, it, it's Neon uh, Badeau, who is in Algiers, Louisiana. And Algiers, if you've never heard of Algiers, uh, is just outside of New Orleans, you know, a major American city. And just to get to this uh, place, they treat it like it's like he's in the, the African um, <laughs> Serengeti. He's like, the, first he has to travel through this rickety boat and then find his way through this like makeshift uh, forest slash jungle over, a over an abandoned railway, it looks like, you know, through this uh, old, almost... Uh, I don't know, this old uh, broken down town with a bunch of 
you know, really old rickety buildings, you know, follow this group of kids into this like back way or this, this um, alleyway through this gym. It's like, he has to jump through all these hoops. I'm like, you're, you're like five minutes outside of new Orleans. I'm sorry. This is, you're, you're not, you're not making any sense. <laughs> this movie isn't making any sense to me. Uh, but yeah, we, we see Neon Bodo played by Shaquille O'Neal. It's uh, it's a I just I just looked it up. Uh, it's a 22 minute drive from New Orleans, and I <laughs> I have the satellite turned on, and basically at, at no point are you going through any backwoods. There's a, there's clearly a, a road, uh, highway just to get right there. It's it's not that far. <laughs> yeah, like they have streets. <laughs> This is this isn't like 1870. This is 1993. Like you can't tell me Algiers was would look like this in 1993. I'm sure they had roads you could access the town. And the whole time Pete's complaining like ah, I'm never inviting you to another <laughs> Western game again. This kid better be good. Like, come on, dude. Um, then, then you walk into this this gym in in the in the backwoods somewhere, and you see this seven foot one phenom Duncan all over everyone blocking shots and somehow the LSU coach doesn't know about this kid nobody knows about this kid nobody and and, and the thing is if you were a, in, in America if you were a seven foot 300 pound tuba player um high school or uh, major college coaches will find you all he has to be able to do is walk and chew gum at the same time uh Shaquille O'Neal in this is we we see him in this film uh, playing this pickup game in front of a, a crowd of uh, kids uh, is, is pulling off drop steps and, and, and spin moves and power moves. And he is dunking and blocking everything in sight. And, and just my note, my only notes in this scene are no one ever heard of this guy. <laughs> you're, you're expecting me to believe that. And the thing is, like the whole time this guy's in his ear telling him he's never been coached. He's totally raw. And I'm like, yeah, he's never been coached, but he, uh, he has NBA level footwork in the post. Um, no, like the, the, the film spends, I think more time than it should trying to tell me that he's, he's raw and he needs uh, coaching. And clearly every time he steps on the court, he doesn't need coaching. Like, yeah. The film never shows us that he's raw. Uh, he he's actually a dominant player in every scene that he has, which I'm sure Shaq doesn't want to look bad in a in a movie. So of course it's written that way. But I don't know. I guess the movie is kind of in a conundrum where they have to say that no one ever heard of him, but at the same time they can't show him like tripping over himself trying to dribble a basketball. So it's it just works out to be this ridiculously unbelievable uh, scene and introduction. Well, the weird thing is they say he never played high school basketball, but he played like he played like for the army overseas, which is essentially how everyone found out who Shaq was anyways, yeah. because he played overseas. Like, but he did play high school basketball. Yeah, right, right. Exactly. But like still uh, somebody somebody's calling somebody and saying, you got to come check out this kid over here. I just, I, 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 it just doesn't make any sense to me. He, yeah, he's the most recruited kid in the entire country. No doubt yeah. about it. He's number one with a bullet. Yeah. And, and all of a sudden, <laughs> Pete is the only guy, just so happens, Pete has the, is the only coach that even knows this, this guy exists. This seven foot, 300 pound, uh, can, can handle the ball 
and, and run up and down the court and just insane uh quick twitch muscle athletic ability <laughs> but yeah wait he just he just hit in hit in a plain sight just no one notices this, this seven foot one guy like there's that many of them in the united states he just gets lost in the crowd All right, so you know we, we've we've got our three main recruits together. Uh, they they do a, a quick visit to the uh, Western campus, and it seems like they're all kind of sold on on the idea of. And really, they they visited one campus. I mean, we well, we don't. In fairness, we don't know if if Butch or uh, uh, Ricky did any other visits. We know Neon didn't because no one's ever heard of Neon. Uh, but they all seem to be interested in uh, attending after just one visit because that's how it works. Uh, but Ricky has one uh, stipulation after he says, I'd like to visit or excuse me, I'd like to uh, commit to to Western University. Uh, he, he gives this scene. And again, uh, what he's asking for isn't necessarily unfair or wrong. It's his delivery that makes him scummy. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he, he wants $30,000 in a gym bag. Like, like he doesn't want to, he, he wants 30 grand in a gym bag. Like, I can't think of a many, like, I, I can't think of a scummier way to ask for money than to say, just stuff it in a gym bag and give it to me. It wasn't just uh, that, though. It wasn't just right, that. It was, right. it was saying, well, I'm say a white, it. I'm a white blue chip player. And that's why I deserve this money. Like, you kidding me? Roll credit. Why the, am I watching this? <laughs> the only time in this film, I think, that the word blue chip is said, or that the term blue chip is actually said, uh, his the exact quote was a white blue chip athlete, or white blue chip, yeah, a white blue chip athlete like myself deserves a little something uh, under the table. Immediately, all of a sudden, I don't like the kid. Get out of my, get out of here. Yeah. And he 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 has the right response. Get the hell out of here. Take your stuff and go home. But he still kowtows to the kid later. Well, that's that's the thing. Like he and this is where I I lose faith in in Vic, uh, the the athletic director, because the very next scene is the coach is actually trying to uh, talk himself into doing it uh, because he sees the potential in front of him. And he doesn't want to walk away from it. And he's talking to to Vic, and Vic is just, I don't want any part of this. I'm not hearing any of this. I, You're the athletic director. What do you mean you don't want any part of this? <laughs> what is your job exactly? Right. What, like your football team is getting paid. Do you not know about that either? Like what? What? What is? What is his job description? And that that's what I think kind of blows my mind about uh Kuzi's role in this movie it's not that he was a bad actor it's just he's given he he's not allowed to be an actual athletic director they give him these throwaway lines like you know I'm the moral guy I don't want anything to do with this uh you know hands over my my ears and my eyes you know if you win hey that's great I don't want to know I don't want to know how it happened it it almost feels like he's like Kevin Pollock's uh, uh, character in Casino, where he's just like the figurehead of the casino. He's the face of it, the front of it, whatever you want to call it. But he has no idea that there's like a whole criminal uh, under underground thing happening there, and he doesn't want it. He doesn't. He doesn't want it. 
He just wants to collect his check. He barely even shows up. And and that's kind of what Bob Cousy is. He's just like he's just a well, a, a, a guy. Like he's Vic, yeah. He's yeah, not he's, running, he's not running anything. He's just there to say, Hey, look, we have a, a an athletic director, but that guy has no idea what's going on or doesn't want to know. Yeah. Vic is completely spineless and he he should be fired immediately after this film. Uh, so, of course, this movie has to happen. So, you know, the coach goes through with it. He meets with Happy, you know, with his gritting his teeth the whole time and he tells him to go ahead and do it. And so uh, Butch's mom gets a very cushy office job, it looks like, in a new house. Uh, Ricky's dad gets a John Deere tractor. John Deere, now the face of corruption. <laughs> Um, uh, Ricky himself gets a, gets a gym bag, uh, with $30,000 rolled up in a newspaper. But I, I think the, the, um, the most interesting part is that Neon gets a Lexus dropped off at his, his, uh, front porch, which that he, he doesn't he, want. Yeah. Which he makes clear. Like at that point, I'm like, is this the mob? Like, this is something that the mob does, like give you gifts that you don't ask for. Like, like we we went from being in a basketball movie to being in The Godfather. Like they gave him a gift he couldn't refuse. Right, and of, like, and of, of course, you know these characters giving away the stuff. They look like mobsters too. Like they really want to drive home. Yes. This, this is bad. This is wrong. Yeah, like you're you're absolutely right. Like this is how the mob does business. And, and I can't look. Has any university ever given a car to a player that didn't ask for it i can't imagine that that's ever happened before no because yeah well, one he didn't ask for it and two the worst comes to worst he someone's going to find out that he got a car he didn't ask for so and then we, we go to the um ed o'neill who we haven't mentioned yet uh playing this reporter who oh i've got in, yeah, in the very beginning of the movie, Ed O'Neill from from Married with Children, uh, fame, played Al Bundy, uh, one of my favorite sitcom characters as a kid. Uh, he, he plays this reporter, and at the very beginning of the the movie, which we passed over, he's questioning uh, Coach Pete about a uh, point shaving scandal and how that might have hurt his recruiting. And you know, he sees all of these highly recruited uh, players coming to. Uh, suddenly committing to Western and he smells blood in the water and he says, okay, well, uh, this is, this is fishy. I'm going to get to the bottom of this and we'll, we'll hear from him at the end of the film. He, it's weird. He, like he plays a good role, but he's not in the movie nearly enough for a guy that's supposed to be uncovering a conspiracy. But he, this reporter, this character is, is acting like he's uncovering the, the freaking Watergate yeah. scandal. Like, uh, or or the Kennedy assassination, you know, I I I kept waiting for him at some point to say up and to the left, up and to the left, but he never at no point that like it doesn't happen. But he, he's got pictures, he's got uh he's got undercover people out there shooting. Uh, it, for some reason, there's a picture of Butch McRae's mother with the for sale sign in her hand, just very convenient, like almost as if she posed with the for sale sign as she was walking into the trash. It's just, it's a really, you know, uh, uh, let's get yep. this, let's get this shot of, of, of Ricky Rose parents in, in rural Indiana, uh, unloading the tractor from, how did they get that shot? <laughs> yeah. That, that was also kind of like, I get it. He's a reporter. He has to do his job, but like stuff right. having, you know, paying 
I'm, I'm guessing paying PIs or whatever to stalk, you know, the families of players. <laughs> like, did you need to have photos to have proof that um, Butch's mom got a new house? Like, <laughs> yeah. I, I I can't imagine that's how it would have worked. Like, you're you're absolutely correct. Like the the, the point shaving thing, which he never investigates. He just mentions that he failed. He he investigated and he failed. Uh, but you know the the paying of of athletes, which is made very clear in this movie, goes on everywhere, which it probably did at the time. But you know he he God God love Ed. He wants to make it his mission to uncover this one instance uh, because it's going on in in the area that he cover on the team that he covers, I guess. Yes. So, and then we get into the uh, I guess the quote unquote the evils of of paying players uh, that the film wants to show us where uh, Butch McRae uh, after the very first practice wants to leave <laughs> after all like he didn't think this through very often uh, yeah, after having one practice and the coach gets on him a few th- uh, a few times about you know do this properly or you need to do it this way and instead of just, you know, accepting the coaching, he just says, you know, this offense isn't for me after one practice, not playing in any games, just one practice, says this offense isn't for me. And maybe you should have asked about that before you committed here. I don't know. Uh, but he, he wants to know if he transfers out uh, of Western, uh, will his mother lose her, you know, her house and her job, which, of course, she would. Right. Uh, which essentially makes him an employee of the university, which he was anyway. It's just now he feels he he's trapped and he can't leave. And my only reaction to that was, well, gee, maybe we should have this out in the open where, uh, where players are getting paid openly and they don't have to worry about their families being held hostage uh, against them. But that's just me. <laughs> and yeah. the, the, go ahead. No, I was just agreeing with you. Yep. Okay. And then the, the second part uh I, I guess in this scene is well, well later on in the movie is where uh, uh, coach is doing his uh, TV program, which you alluded to earlier. And he sees happy uh, who is the, the scummy booster uh, walking around with uh, Ricky, who we've already established as the uh, uh, materialistic jackass of the three recruits. And he finds out that happy's taking him around. He's giving him a car and he, he, he throws happy out of the studio and uh, in response, Happy tells uh, the coach that, no, the money has been changing hands since you've been here. You just haven't known about it. And, you know, flippantly, he remarks to him that uh, you're, one of your players already took money from us to, to shave points. Uh, we own you. And then kind of walks away. And immediately he, he tells him, he even tells him the date of the game. So uh, Pete summons all of his assistants for whatever reason, uh, puts on a tape of the game and finds out that Tony, who is the one holdover from his previous team that we're supposed to care about because he's the only one that ever gets mentioned. Uh, Tony uh, was actually shaving points in that game. And all I can think of as he, he, he goes to Tony's dorm to literally confront him about it. And he talks, he, he, uh, he yells at him about, how he's disappointed and how he took the purest thing of his life and he tainted it. And all my, my notes in this, uh, about the scene were, is he really more upset that Tony shaved points or that Tony took money? I, I really couldn't get an answer for that. 
Right. Like, and, go ahead. I, you know, I, I kind of, look, th- this is bad. I, I agree that this part is bad. And, yes. and when he does go to his, uh, his frat house or whatever, and he says, you know, you took the one pure thing in your life and ruined it. Um, you know, that's, I'm, I'm not saying that verbatim, just kind <clears> of <throat> whatever. Um, you know, I agree on that part. I, I do. That's shaving points and, and playing poorly is wrong. And I guess that's kind of what everybody was worried about when, when sports betting, you know, became pretty much fully legal and, and I don't want to be a conspiracy theorist or whatever, but we really don't know if players are not trying right. at this point, but I, I, I'm just going to go ahead and, and um, be, I'm going to put my head in the sand and just assume that they are uh, because I don't want to ruin sports for myself, but, uh, but yeah, yeah. You know, shaving points is bad. Yeah. It's just, he never, he never comes out and explicitly says, you know, they're talking about why shaving points is bad. Uh, why, you know, why he did this to himself. It, I guess my my problem was it, it isn't explicitly made clear in the film that Coach Bell is more disappointed about the point shaving thing than he is about uh, Tony taking money, which is I, I I that's the thing I couldn't figure out like is he supposed to be more upset about this or is he just upset because Tony took money while playing in college like he says because that his rant at the end of this movie kind of makes me think that this is just. He doesn't care about the point shaving as much as he is that Tony got paid, which which to me just makes him even more of a jerk. Like he he's right to be upset, but I just the reason that he's upset is it's not made clear to me. Yeah, it's no, I agree. All right. So yeah, the we have what's essentially the final act of the film, which is okay, uh Coach Bell has his his new group of players together. Uh their season opener, apparently they never play a road game. Uh, their, their season opener is against number one ranked Indiana, uh, featuring uh, Indiana legends uh, Calvert Chaney and Bob Hurley. Yeah, everybody remembers know. Bob Hurley playing for Indiana. Nobody does. Like, I, I get that at the time they, they wanted probably uh, a more name recognition and there's really no no one in the on indiana at the time other than calvert cheney that would have had name recognition so they just i guess they figured they'd throw bob hurley in there or bobby hurley in there bob's his dad that um you know that that would get more interest i guess i don't know i don't get it um and it's not like he's the only college player that's on the wrong team it's just he sticks out more than anybody because he was he was on duke uh, and he was made famous for being on Duke. And what I, what I find kind of uh, funny here is that Keith Smart, who literally won Bob Knight a championship uh, in Indiana, is on the team, and he's never named mentioned anything. <laughs> he's there. He's he plays, but he was literally the most outstanding player on Bob Knight's final championship team. But yeah, it, this is the big game. This is a national TV game. Dickie V is there. Uh, sort of like you can see him looking up instead of forward at the camera like he normally would because he's you can tell he's trying to like read off of a prompter and it's <laughs> once you notice it it's kind of uncomfortable because he's not looking at you he's looking up at the he, he's he's looking up just slightly at at, at a script uh, and, and my only notes are just, uh, from this is 
Hey, Keith, uh, I'll, I'll be right back. I'll be right back. Okay. Okay, so my only notes uh, from this scene are uh, great. So Bob Knight is actually coaching on the other team. So there are two insufferable coaches now. And the weird thing is that, uh, like, the, the game starts, and I, I find it uh, interesting that Leon Badeau, who no one ever heard of supposedly before this game, gets top build, name name recognition over the other two uh, five-star recruits. But his, his team plays well, and it's not really worth discussing. Like, the, the basketball in this movie in general is pretty good, which it should be. It has actual, you know, high-level basketball players. And I, I actually find it more entertaining. This might have actually been the best actual basketball uh, that I can think of that I've seen on film uh, played by actors. And the, the team is keeping up with Indiana. They're actually out playing Indiana at times, but the whole time you're looking over at uh, Coach Bell and Be Coach Bell is just, uh, he's lost in the negativity of how this has happened, how this is going on. Like his team is winning against the number one ranked team in the country. And he just looks so unhappy because he doesn't like how this team was built. And he's not even really thinking about the game other than diagramming plays during timeouts. And it's just so off-putting. And the, eventually Western wins, which of course they would on a, a penny to, or excuse me, a butch to neon alley-oop at the buzzer. It, I, I really love, by the way, a side note, the fact that there's like a time overlay on this last play and they're not constantly cutting between the play that's going on and then the game clock uh, counting down and then back to the plane back to the, this is so much better. And I wish movies would do this more. Uh, so what uh, Western wins, this is, you know, the big uh, coming out party for the new team at, at Western university. Everybody's happy, uh, but not Pete Bell because Pete Bell doesn't like the fact that his players <laughs> got paid. So uh, he has this, this sanctimonious, like everyone, it's really jarring. Like the post game, right? Everyone is like so enthusiastic. Everyone's celebrating the players, the coaches. And of course they would be, right? Right. And he, yeah, and he just gives this somber, like, we broke the rules. I broke the rules. Some of you broke the rules. We'll talk about your futures tomorrow, guys. Like, it's just so jarring. Like, even if you had that thought process, why would you want to shit on uh, your players' accomplishments at that time to make yourself feel better? Because you're wallowing in your own self-pity. Yeah, it, it it makes no sense. And then he just, <clears throat> you know, and then, he, and then he has this unbelievable press conference oh, yeah. afterwards where he just, uh, it, you know, I'll play a little bit of an excerpt here. It, it, he just... It's unbelievable. This would have been all over the news if this was if this really happened. Didn't it happy? I mean, that car was fully loaded, wasn't it? No, no, Coach. It was a nuclear surfboard, remember? <laughs> you know, and the damn thing of it is, Ed, is he, you know, Neon, he didn't want it. He, he didn't want the car. He didn't want to. He didn't ask for anything, but, you know, he wasn't for sale. But well, we got it for him anyway. 
I mean, and I, I think personally that it would have been a hell of a deal, a, a good price. I mean, uh, I mean, what did Neon do tonight? Does anybody know how many boards did Neon have tonight? Thirteen. Thirteen? Thirteen boards? Well, there you are. It would have been a hell of a deal. Can you imagine? Can you imagine what Neon would have done if we had tried to give him a Ferrari? I mean, for Christ's sake, he might have scored 40 or 50 points. I mean, who knows? And it just goes on and on from, from there. But eventually he just he quits his job. Yeah, and that's the weird um the the end of that scene once it's clear that he's not joking and he's being serious is that he he goes on this big sanctimonious rant about how nothing's about education or or basketball anymore it's all about money and as we've already established this is a man that's had uh, a a multi-million dollar contract he's had well i don't know how much but he's obviously has a big contract for a 90s college coach uh, he he has his own TV show that he makes money from. He has his own sponsorship deals that he makes money from. Um, he was okay with all of this until players start started to uh, to get paid. By the way, and he was I, okay. He was okay with lying about his religion to in order to yeah. help recruit players too. Yeah, like he is perfectly okay uh, <laughs> with with money being involved as long as it's no one else is getting paid. And it the the moral just sanctimony of this movie is just it, it, it's so off-putting and at, at the very end of his press conference you know he announces he's quitting his job which i guess is supposed to make him uh the movie wants us to believe he's like a martyr but all i can think of is you've absolutely screwed over your all right so uh, essentially the movie ends on that is is you know, coach quitting and kind of, you know, screwing over his kids and who have all committed to him and he's quitting them after a game. So, okay. And then we have the epilogue where uh, we we show what happens to everybody else. Uh, Tony is graduated and playing in Europe, which is good for him. Uh, Ricky uh, injured his knee and was forced to retire early and is now running his father's farm, which my notes on that were, did something happen to his father? I don't. I don't think it was supposed to happen this soon. But but the other note was obviously asking for thirty thousand dollars was the right decision because that's the only money he ever got paid for for his labor. Uh, Butch and Neon are left school early. They're in the NBA, which I don't know how what we're supposed to take from that uh, because that's actually what happened and good for them. And uh, we leave off with uh, Pete, who is now arguing with refs. And the movie tells us in a. Uh, Midwestern high school, which is, oh boy, when he when he starts learning about AEU basketball, he's he's just gonna have another fit all over again, and that that kind of wraps up the movie. Uh, I I really love Blue Chips. I I think I watch it ironically now, uh, rather than you know how it was thirty years ago, because I think the message it sends is kind of terrible. But I think you can almost. It's so dated, you can almost point and laugh at it because no one really has those attitudes today. Yeah, no, I I, I really enjoy this movie too, and um, and I'm really going to enjoy what we do next week. We're we're going to have a, a a big show. We're going to talk, but finally about the the one I've been wanting to talk about for a while, the 1996 NBA draft, and we're going to have the uh, the Bun and Cardigan boys on with us, and uh, I really really look forward to this one, and we'll uh, we'll see you next week.